0: And uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6 and Second Peter chapter 3. And that's uh, the two main spots we'll be going to today. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Keith started a series talking about the seven C's of history. And this is uh, the same seven C's that the Creation Museum and uh, Answers in Genesis use. And they have these seven C's that it use. It's called creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. And, and those seven C's kind of take it from the beginning of, of Genesis to Revelation. It's kind of the overarching themes of the Bible and kind of builds the, the foundational bedrock of, 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 the, um, of, of, of our faith and worldview as, as being a Christian. Uh, two Sundays ago, Pastor Key started that series. He talked about creation and then he talked about corruption and now he's uh, over on the other side of the world and now he's left me with catastrophe and confusion. I hope, hopefully, this is not a sign of how these messages will go, and uh, so. But those are the two topics that we'll, we'll be going over uh, this week and next week, and I look forward to having having him back and, and everyone that was on the trip with them. So, uh, Genesis chapter one through eleven. Uh, if you've ever been to the Creation Museum or to the Ark, uh, Ken Ham he will stress that uh, Genesis one through eleven are f- absolutely foundational in in the the of, of our worldview as a christian in other words if you dismiss genesis 1 through 11 then you can very easily see the house of cards of the christian faith fall apart without having that foundation underneath there and the kinds of things that of 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 things that we pull out from genesis 1 through 11 you have creation that we were created by god um, you have that we have purpose in life, that we were not just accidents that, that came across in, in, into, into being. You have all kinds of things about gender that are uh, presented in, and there's only two genders of male and female. You have the, the whole foundation of marriage being established in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, you have the whole fall of man that's mentioned there, why there's death, disease, and suffering that's out there. It's because of our sin and all that's established there. Uh, you have all the, the the whole foundation of a doctrine of of where race comes from. There's not multiple races, but we're all one human race. And we have all the nationalities that we'll talk about next week when we talk about the Tower of Babel, how different languages and nationalities all kind of came out from that, from that standpoint. Um, even geology, that we'll kind of get into a little bit today with a, with a catastrophe of a global flood that is understood based on, on Noah's flood that took place. And so all of these types of things are all tucked into Genesis 1 through 11. And as, as we as a church, and if we're back with our, our children's church and we're just trying to tell them, hey, these are just uh, just children's stories, and they, they, their fables, this foundation, they will not be able to have the biblical worldview and will easily walk away from the faith if they not see this as fact. And all these things that we're gonna be talking about, about the flood today, these are not, this is not a children's story where it's a cute little boat with all these animals just kinda of on, on, the, on the boat and the giraffe head is sticking out of the window up top. You know, th- this is an actual real tragic event that took place in our human history and so today we're going to look at this uh catastrophe of of the global flood and and try and look at it from a biblical perspective we'll only have the opportunity to kind of scratch the surface just a little bit and try and take some practical principles and and tie in a little bit of apologetics in uh, with a little bit today as well Um, so with that being said let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and we'll dive into to genesis chapter six father i thank you so much for this this opportunity to be here today Uh, Lord, everyone that's here, no one is here by mistake, and Lord, you have them here for a reason, and there's something in this message today that, Lord, that they need to hear, and God, I pray that you would speak to them directly and vividly. Uh, Lord, this one here today is not yet saved. Lord, I pray that they would make that moment to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Lord, for those that are here are saved today, I pray that we would be reinforced in our faith, that we would choose to make steps to be closer to Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. In Genesis chapter 6, let's begin reading in verse number 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, when we look at a Christian worldview, uh, about 6,000 years ago is when God created everything. Uh, shortly after that, as we talked about last week, that the fall of man took place, sin entered into the world, and at that moment is when corruption began to spread amongst humanity. Now, from the moment of creation and the fall of man up to the moment of when the flood took—God bless you—and uh, and the, uh, the flood took place— it was about 1,600 years. And so for uh, about 1,500-ish years, corruption began to spread. And if you could imagine uh, mold on cheese, if it's just left there to sit out, it will spread and become worse and worse. And so this corruption of mankind began to spread and become worse and worse over these decades and centuries. And so God gets them to a point, and in verse five it says that God saw the wickedness of man. God sees sin, and. And God gave them a warning in verse uh, four that he would, uh, or verse three, I'm sorry, we would not always strive, but 120 years. He kind of gives them a warning 120 years prior to this judgment that would come. And says, hey, great judgment is going to come, be ready for it. And so these, these people were in, in sin. So let's kind of look at what, what the culture of the day was like. So we see in verse 5 that the wickedness of man was great, it is mentioned. It says that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. So everything that they were thinking about, every, every thought, every motive of their heart, it says it was evil continually, all the time. Everything that they were thinking about, Everything that they were wondering about, every, uh, every motive and desire of what they wanted to do was contrary to what God would have them to be doing. Um, if you look in verse uh, 11 and 12, it says that the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was, ver- it was corrupt and all, all flesh corrupted his way upon the earth. So verse 11 and 12, three times it mentions the word corrupt. Uh, the world was in a time of corruption. It was violent. Um, you don't have to turn there, but there's also a parallel passage if you go to, to Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 and 39. It says, But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days, of, for the, in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying. And given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not that the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, not only was there wickedness in the people, not only were their thoughts and imaginations evil continually, not only were they corrupt and not only were they violent, in Matthew chapter 24, it also says they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. In other words, they were just busy. About everyday life. They were, they were concerned about what was for lunch. What are we going to eat today? What are we going to drink? Hey, uh, who, who's, who's going to get married? Who's going to be giving, someone, else, uh, giving out some, someone away to marriage? They were just living normal everyday life. They were concerned and consumed by the temporary day-to-day life to the point that they were completely oblivious to the fact that the flood was even coming. Now, I don't know about you, if I lived in a community and I saw someone building a giant boat, I might be thinking, hey, there's something going on here. They were oblivious to it absolutely oblivious. And it also says here, interesting in Matthew chapter 24, it is using an an analogy for as in the days of Noah was, that's exactly how the culture of society is going to be right before Jesus comes again. You see, the culture of, of society is going to be only corrupt, and thinking evil thoughts and imaginations continually they're gonna there's gonna be violence I don't know if you just saw it over in, in uh, Israel there's a whole bunch of uh, rocket attacks that were in in Israel thank thank goodness that our, our church is not doing a Holy Land trip and they're and they're over in Rome instead and 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 there's violence that's taking place um, there there's there's people that are eating and drinking marrying and giving a marriage I went to a wedding yesterday uh, and and and, and There's so many people in our society today that are just consumed with the here and now. It is so eerie how the description of the days of Noah was describes our culture today. This is a huge red flag that Jesus could come back at any moment. And, the, and the, the point that they're making in Matthew chapter 24 is just as the people back in Noah's day were ignorant of the flood that was coming, the people of today are completely ignorant of that Jesus Christ could come at any time too. And it's going to catch them by surprise. Well, um, in, in 2 Peter, if you have your finger there, in 2 Peter chapter 3, there is another kind of description of, of, of this uh, willing ignorance that people will have about about the, the coming of Christ. Second um, Peter chapter three, verse number three, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? From since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of, of the creation. Now in verse five, you'll see that they're willingly ignorant of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the waters and in the water. Verse 6, we're going to see that they're, they're willingly ignorant of, of the flood whereby the world Uh, that then was being overflowed with water perished in verse 7 we'll see they're ignorant of judgment but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved on the fire against the day of judgment and perdition unto ungodly men so in 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 the last days it talks about that people will be willingly ignorant of creation of the flood and of judgment to come well God saw the sin of, uh, of the people in Noah's day, just as God sees the sin of people today. God saw my sin. God sees your sin. God sees the sin of everyone outside of these walls. God sees the sins that you did this past month. God sees our sins that we did this past week. God sees our sins that we did last, last yesterday or last night. God sees everything that we do. God even knows what sin you're thinking about doing that you have not even yet committed. And whenever we commit those sins, God sees it. God sees the sins that we boast about in public. God sees the sins we try to hide in secret. There is no sin that we commit that God does not see. God sees sin. Well, the second thing that we see back in Genesis chapter 6... It says, not only does God see our sin, God will judge sin. In Genesis 6, verse 6, it says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I think this is very interesting before we even read the next verse, that it, it, it says that our sin grieved God at his heart. Sin breaks God's heart when we rebel against him when we sin against him it breaks god's heart just as much as it is as a as a loving parent sees a child disobey and make poor choices that they hurt themselves in their decisions and they go through a path of hardship when they know they could have avoided it if they would have chosen a path of obedience and that parent breaks for that child as they go down this path of this destruction and God's heart, just like a loving parent does towards their children, God's same heartbeat goes to mankind that when we sin and disobey him, God's heart breaks for us because God knows he is what is best for you and me. God knows that a path of obedience and, and obeying his law of love is what is best for us. And so God wants what is uh, what is best for us, and God hurts when we hurt. But God is holy. And God will not let and will, will not and cannot let sin go unpunished. So in Genesis 6, verse number, uh, Genesis 6, verse number 7, it says, and The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. So God makes this decision. After that, he had told them 120 years ago uh, that he was going to bring judgment and he was was long-suffering and patient with them. God says, judgment is going to come and destruction is going to be taking place upon this earth. God's method of judgment was a global flood uh, for sake of time we're not gonna be able to go through all these passages but genesis six seventeen, if you want to make some notes here uh it says that uh it says it says and behold i even i do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein all's breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die genesis 7 verse 11 and 12 talks about the fountains of the deep were broken up and for uh for 40 days and 40 nights it began to rain then Genesis 17, verse 19 and 20, it says all of the high hills and all the mountains were covered. Now, a little bit of an apologetics insert here. Some people might argue that this flood of Noah's day was a regional flood, was a local flood that took place. I would argue that because it is very hard for all all land animals and all people to die and for all of the high hills and all the mountains to be covered by water it is very hard for a regional flood to accomplish that task. And so I really truly believe, as the Bible says, this is a global flood. We'll get into some more um, kind of apologetics with that here in in a moment. by the way, uh, as, as Noah was on this, the, the waters prevailed, and, and, and they were the, every, the highest hills were 20 feet underwater. It prevailed for 150 days. The water recedes for another 150 days, and God causes a, a wind, and the fountains the deep to stop, and the rain stops, and, and by the time it's all said and done, Noah is on this ark floating in the water, or at least sitting in, on, on, on the ground for over a year. Catastrophic. Now, if you could just imagine putting yourself into Noah's shoes, seeing all those things taking place, you know, all the things that he was, was, was used to seeing, his home, uh, memories of when his, his kids were, were raised up in his home, uh, other extended family members that as the waters rose and as, as his immediate family is safe in the ark, seeing them dying and drowning outside of the boat. All of it destroyed, all of it washed away. Noah had the chance to see this. Um, we'll get into this a little bit, bit closer here as, as well, but from another apologetics insert here, um, this catastrophic global flood, most likely the, 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 the landscape prior to the flood was completely different than what we see in our landscapes today. Um, I, I've, I believe that Pangea would have been a, a uh, type of format, what the world was like, what that it is is all one uh, landmass instead of the seven different co- continents that we have today. Uh, Genesis 1, 9 through 10, says, And God said, Let the waters of the heavens be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and gathered together the waters and called seas, and God saw it was good. So on day three, God gathered all the waters onto one place, which would conclude that there would be one landmass that, that uh, came up at that point. Then, as it mentions, and as the floods began, it says the great fountains of the deep were broken up. Um, this is this is when the continents would have split. Um, this is when some some gigantic types of volcanic type of activity, all the floodwaters from underground, the water from up ahead, would, uh, would totally turn up the whole earth. Um, if you actually look at even Google Maps and you can see fault lines of the tectonic plates, it's almost like scar tissue of where God would have separated the, the, the continents uh, in this time of the flood. Um, interesting, if you go to Wikipedia and you look up sedimentary uh, rock, uh, it says that 73% of all the earth's land surface is sedimentary rock Um, sediment just by definition is matter that settles at the bottom of a liquid so flooding, whenever that takes place, churns up the, the, uh, churns up the ground, sand, silt, clay, other debris gets mixed up into the water. Then as the water settles down and the waters recede, all that sediment that is in there settles to the bottom and then, and then this makes a layer on the ground underneath. So by definition, sedimentary rock layers would have been formed by matter and water that then settled down to the bottom of the liquid very convenient that the Bible talks about a global flood. Um, and so 73 of this exposed land surface today is sedimentary rock. That would have logically made sense for the global flood to take place as all this stuff lay down. As you talk about fossils, Uh, Fossils are not gradual things that took place. Fossils would have taken place at the time of the flood, that when all this this dirt and debris was mixed up and as animals were being literally buried alive by all this sediment, that immediate covering of those animals would have caused them to be fossilized. And that's where we see fossils at today. Um, that's where also where you see these big areas of fossils where a lot of these animals would have been swept up in different areas into almost like little grave sites. Um, Worldview determines how someone interprets evidence. Um, a skeptic might say, hey, uh, you can't prove the global flood. You can't prove creation. And you can reply and say, well, you can't prove evolution. And say, well, well we got science. And that's a a great time to give a time out. There are two types of sciences. There is observational science, and there's another category I'm gonna call historical science. observational science, this is when you're in, in the classroom, this is when you're thinking about the scientific method, this is when you're, you have a hypothesis and you can repeat this test over and over and over to come to a conclusion and prove this, this, this hypothesis every, every time. It's something that is observed and is a repeatable process. Um, there's limits to what the observational sciences can conclude. Now historical science is more of like going to a crime scene and having something that, take, that takes place and there's all the evidence that's left behind and you have everything roped off and you, and you try to conclude from what's left behind to see, okay, what did happen in this one time event? And so historical science is like a forensic scientist as, as, as they take all these, these, these pieces and they take the evidence to draw conclusions. Well, when you look at history of how the world began and and the flood, these were all one-time events. The scientific method and observational science cannot prove or disprove what happened in one-time events in the past. However, everyone here has the same set of evidence that we have. When we look at Grand Canyon, you look at all the geology that's out there, we all have the same set of evidence but we, our worldview gives us a perspective to either lean towards a certain belief system. And so historical science um, really is limited to just the evidence to draw to conclusions. And so both of these things, if you were to look at even evolutionist type, type of, of point of view or a creationist type, type of point of view, it all comes down to faith. There comes to a point where you have to either believe and God's word is true, or you have to believe in in a humanist view or an evolutionist type type of view. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to faith. By the way, I think it's much easier to believe in God. I think when you look at what the Bible says, God as an eyewitness, and you look at the evidence that's out there, I truly believe that the evidence stacks up better to a biblical worldview than it does to a non-biblical worldview. Um, and fortunately, for sake of time today, I don't have time to delve into that, but, but there, is, there is that. Uh, and really, what it boils down to, it's a hard issue. Uh, we talked about that people are, are willingly ignorant of, of God and, and those things, and it's a hard issue because someone who's, who is an atheist or who does not believe in God, they, they know that if there is a God, then there is a God that they have to answer to. And so if they can try to dismiss that there is a God, they feel like they have liberty to be able to live the way that they want. But God will judge all sin, just like how he demonstrated with his justice here. Uh, But those that reject Jesus Christ as their savior, they will receive the judgment of God in eternity in hell. Um, Those that are saved and living in sin, God loves you as his own child and he will chastise you as his child and, and you will forfeit yourself of eternal rewards if living in sin. But remember, God is long-suffering. God is not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. And Noah was this preacher of righteousness, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 2. Third point that I want to get to, and I'm going to try and close close this here in in just a second here. Number number one, God sees our sin. Number two, God will judge our sin. But number three, uh, we can find grace from God when we come to him with our sin. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 8. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God told Noah to build an ark. God brought all the animals to him. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his wife, so all eight of them were the ones that came onto the ark. By faith, they chose to go on the ark. Let me give you some stats on the ark, because you might ask the question, like, how in the world did Noah fit all the animals on the arc. So let me get some stats. So the length of the arc was about 510 feet. So that's about about the length of one and a half football fields. The width of it was about 85 feet, which is about the distance between uh, home home plate to first base on a major league baseball field. The height of it was, was about 51 feet, which is about five basketball hoops stacked on top of each other. So since we're sitting in the auditorium, I did some measurements. So the, uh, the width of, of the arc would have been about from this pillar over here to this pillar over here. That's about how wide it was. The height of it, I tried the best I could with doing a tape measure from the balcony down to here. So, um, uh, the, uh, so I assume that the, the very top up here is probably about 40 to 45 feet. So the height of the arc would have been a little bit taller than the very top of our, of our uh, auditorium building. And the length of it, if you were to go the, all the way to the end of the back of the, of, of the gym of our, of our church building, and we're to go from that distance all the way up to the street, that's how long the arc would have been. So that's, to kind of give you a size, so we are all just like sitting inside the, the Ark right now. So, um, so that's, that's how big it was. Now, capacity-wise, um, an arc that big would be able to fit 450 semi-truck trailers inside of it. Um, all the fam- would, would all the animals be able to fit in? Um, here's here's some, some, not every living animal had to be on the boat. So there's about 1,400 known living and extinct kinds uh, the King James Bible uses the word kind to talk about uh, what our modern culture probably would call family of, of animals, uh, animal kingdom. Uh, and these are species that are able to interbreed within, within that, same, in, in that same family. So he, in, in the Bible, Noah wouldn't have to just bring these different kinds of, of animals on. So that means there's probably, it would have been about 6,700 animals at a maximum that needed to be on the ark. Now, now you look at the size, 85% of all those animals would have weighed under 22 pounds. 7% of the animals would have weighed between 22 pounds and 220 pounds. And about 88% of the animals would have been over 220 pounds. Um, Dinosaurs would have been on the ark. Um, They would have been on there at that time. The average size of of, of of a normal dinosaur would have been about the size of a buffalo. And so with the average size of of a dinosaur being at that size, and since younger animals would have been on the the ark, most of the dinosaurs that would have been on the ark would have been smaller just because they would have a longer breeding life once they got off as well. So they would have been able to to fit on there. Um, Ice Age would have happened after the ark was done, and that's when the dinosaurs probably would have gone extinct and do not have any time to to divulge into that that topic for today. And even with all those animals on there, there still would have been room for uh, 400 tons of food, for 95,000 gallons of of, uh, storage vessels for water, and living quarters for eight people. Probably still would have had some uh, extra space. So anyone that put their faith in God would have the opportunity to be on there. And it was interesting that as God gave Noah the the designs of this ark, there was one door. There was one door on the side of the ark. And that was the only way in. The only way into the ark to find rescue and deliverance from this destruction was through this one door. And it says in, in Genesis seven sixteen that the Lord shut them in. God was the one that actually shut the door, sealed them, and kept them safe. There's an awesome parallel there. There is only one way that we get to heaven. And John ten nine, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. The only way any of us will ever make it to heaven is only through Jesus Christ. See, the reality is God sees our sin. We are guilty before a holy God. God will bring justice to our sin. God cannot dismiss it god will will bring judgment to our sin and if we die in our sin we will spend eternity in hell but god loves you and me so much that he sent his son jesus christ to die on the cross to be our way of escape to get out of hell and have access to everlasting life with god in heaven that's amazing love and just like this ark had one door that anyone that put their faith to get on that boat they would have deliverance. And I want you to see this as well, and I don't have time to to get in this, but Genesis 9, 11 through 13, you see the the real reason why a rainbow was given. The symbolism of a rainbow is not some agenda that our our, our culture is trying to push today. The real reason of of, of the rainbow, why it was given, was God's promise to mankind that he would never flood the earth again. And there's a beautiful symbolism there too that when you go through that door and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and he delivers you from all of your sin, there's this promise of a rainbow in your life that God says, once I have saved you, you're always saved. You never have to worry about this judgment on your sin ever again. We serve an amazing God. And as we look at this historical account of the ark, it really did happen. People died. We saw the judgment of that, but there really is a Savior of Jesus Christ as well. If everyone stand to your feet and as musicians come, as we kind of reflect on, on this passage today, uh, I have no idea uh, where you've been this past week and what things have been going on in your life. But if, if you're like me, we're all men of like passions, and all of us fall short of the Lord. God sees my sin. God sees your sin. It may be hidden from other people, but I want to remind you that we cannot hide our sin from God. I also want to remind you that God will judge us of our sin. You might be here today, and this this presentation of the gospel, and this, this hope of eternal life only through Jesus Christ, this may be the first time that you've heard that. And maybe God is working in your heart today because you know that you need to have your sins forgiven. And the decision you need to make today is like, you know, I need to humble myself, I need to confess my sins to the Lord, and I need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe that's a choice that you need to make today, whether it's a a prayer that you would call upon the name of the Lord right there in your pew. Maybe it's a person that's there right next to you that you came to church with today and say, hey, I'm not sure I'm saved, what do I need to do? And they would love to talk to you about that. We'll have a time of of invitation here, and we'll have some altar workers here in the front. And and if you wanna come forward and say, hey, I'm not saved, can you show me how I can be saved? They'd be more than happy to show you from the Bible about how you can know for sure that you're saved. Do not leave here without knowing for sure that heaven's your home. We do not have to go through life wondering or doubting that if we're gonna go to heaven or hell, God has given us concrete promises about knowing how we can know for sure that we're saved. Maybe you're here today and you are saved. You have made that choice to trust Jesus Christ as your savior, but there's still sin in your life there's still some things in your life that are going on and you just need to humble yourself to God and Say, you know what Lord I'm, I'm doing these things I shouldn't be doing these things and the Bible says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come to him confess our sins he will forgive you you might be thinking there's, there's no way God can forgive me in this he can there is no sin greater or bigger than what the blood of Christ can cleanse. If you're here today and there's a sin that's in your life and you're struggling with it, quit trying to solve it yourself. Give it to the Lord, confess it to the Lord, put it into the Lord's hands. Maybe you're here today and maybe your faith in in God's word has just been shaky. Um, And and maybe this this passage as we kind of expository this and did some apologetic stuff, maybe it's given some reassurance to reinforce your faith in God's word. Maybe here today, there's people around you. Just as Noah was a preacher of righteousness to a lost world, he preached to people for 120 years. Other than his wife, three sons and their wives, he saw zero converts. God has placed you here and in the community and the families where you are, to be a witness for him. And there are some people around you that maybe if you shared the gospel with them, they might be saved. And maybe the challenge is today is that, hey, our culture is lulled to sleep and caught up in the things of this world. And they have no idea of the danger that's out there and the judgments that's coming. And God has placed you in this place just like Noah, to be that one, to be that preacher of righteousness, to share Christ with those around them. Let's pray, and the invitation will be open for you guys to come and make decisions. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the power of your scriptures. Thank you so much for being a God that shows compassion, that yet is holy, but yet is willing to show mercy when we humble ourselves to come to you. Lord, please bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.